Chapter Eighteen of the Mystery of the Four Fingers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Four Fingers by Fred M. White. Chapter Eighteen: A Couple of Visitors. Something in the tone of Fenwick's voice caused Vera to look up hastily. Perhaps it was her imagination that, in the unsteady light of the flickering fire, his face seemed to have changed almost beyond recognition. The features were dark and murderous and the eyes were full of a lust for vengeance. It was only just for a moment. Then the man became his normal self again, just as if nothing had happened. A violent shudder passed over Vera's frame, but Fenwick appeared to notice nothing of this. "'You want me to write that letter now?' she asked. "'At once,' Fenwick responded. "'I don't mind telling you that I am in great trouble over business matters. There is a conspiracy on foot among certain people to get me into trouble.' I may even find myself inside the walls of a prison. The man who can save me from all this is your friend Felix Zary. Unfortunately for me, the man has had the bad taste to dislike me exceedingly. He seems to think that I was in some way responsible for your father's death, and, as you know, he loved your father with a devotion that was almost dog-like. If I could get Zary down here, I should have no difficulty in convincing him that he was wrong. But he would not come near the place so long as he knew that I was present, so, therefore, I want you to write to him and conceal the fact that I am on the premises. Directly he gets your letter, he will come at once. I have not the slightest doubt of it, Vera said slowly. There is nothing that Zary would not do for one of us. If you will assure me that you mean no harm by him. Harm? Fenwick shouted. What harm could I do the man? Didn't I tell you just now that I want him to do me a service? One does not generally ill-treat those who are in a position to bestow favors. Now sit down like the good girl that you are and write that letter at once. Then you can go to bed. I will write it in the morning, Vera said. Surely there cannot be all this desperate hurry. If the letter is written before the post goes out tomorrow afternoon, it will be in good time. I am much too tired to do it now. Just for a moment Fenwick's eyes blazed angrily again. It seemed to Vera that the man was about to burst forth into a storm of passion. The hot words did not come, however, for Fenwick restrained himself. Perhaps he was afraid of going a little too far. Perhaps he was afraid of arousing Vera's suspicions, and thus defeating his own object by a refusal on her part to write the letter. He knew from past experience that she could be as firm of purpose as himself if she chose. "'Very well,' he said, with an almost grotesque attempt at good humour. "'You look very tired to-night, and I dare say you have had a fatiguing journey, and, after all, there is no great hurry.' I will show you up to the room which I have set apart for your use. Vera was only too glad to get away. Despite her strange surroundings, and despite the sense of coming danger, she threw herself on the bed and slept the sleep of utter exhaustion. It was getting towards noon, before she came back to herself, invigorated and refreshed by her long rest. So far as the girl could see, there were no servants in the house at present besides an old retainer of the family and her husband. Fenwick had made some excuse about the staff of domestics who were to follow later on, but up to now he only had about him the men whom Vera had known more or less well for the last two years. The meals appeared to be served in a remarkably irregular fashion. Even the lunch was partaken of hurriedly by Fenwick, who pleaded the pressure of business. "'I can't stop a minute,' he said. "'I have more to do now than I can manage. I should just like to have a look at that letter that you have written to Zary.' There is no excuse for not doing it now, and I want to put it in the post-bag. Very well, Vera said serenely. If you will come with me to the library, you will see exactly what I write. 
I know you are a suspicious man, and that you don't trust anybody. Therefore I shall be very glad for you to know that I have carried out your request to the letter. Fenwick laughed as if something had pleased him. Nevertheless, he looked over Vera's shoulder until she had penned the last word. She slowly folded up the communication and sealed it. "'How am I to address the envelope?' she said. "'I have not the slightest idea where Zary is to be found. For all I know to the contrary, he may not even be in England.' "'Oh, yes, he is,' Fenwick chuckled. "'He is in London at the present moment. If you address that letter, 17 Paradise Street, Camberwell, Zary will be in receipt of it tomorrow morning.' Vera wrote the address boldly and firmly, and handed the letter with more or less contempt to her companion. She wanted him to feel that she held his suspicions with scorn. She wanted him to know that so far as she was concerned, here was an end of the matter. Nevertheless, she followed him carelessly from the room, and saw him place the letter, together with others, on the hall table. A moment later he had vanished, and she was left alone to act promptly. She did not hesitate for a moment. She made her way back to the drawing-room, and addressed a second envelope to the house in Paradise Street, into which envelope she slipped a blank sheet of note-paper. Then she stamped the envelope and made her way back cautiously to the hall. There was a chance of being discovered, a chance that she was being watched, but she had to run the risk of that. She was crossing the hall freely and carelessly now, and so contrived as to sweep the mass of letters with her sleeve to the floor, exclaiming at her own clumsiness as she did so. Like a flash, she picked out the one letter that she needed, and swiftly exchanged it for the other. A moment later she was out of doors, with the dangerous communication in her pocket. So far as she could see, she had succeeded beyond her wildest expectations. It was only a simple ruse, but like most simple things, generally successful. Vera was trembling from head to foot now, but the fresh air of the park and the broad, beautiful solitude of it soothed her jarred nerves, and brought back a more contented frame of mind. Her spirits rose as she walked along. "'I am glad I did that,' she told herself. "'I may be mistaken, but I firmly believe that I have saved Zary's life. Had he come down here, he would never have left the place again, and yet there is danger for him still, and I must warn him of it. I must manage to communicate in some way with Gerald. I wonder if it would be safe to send him a telegram from the village.' I wonder, too, in what direction the village lies. Still, I have all the afternoon before me, and a brisk walk will do me good. With a firm, elastic step, Vera walked across the grass in the direction of a wood, beyond which she could see the slope of the high road. She had hardly entered the wood before she heard a voice calling her name, and to her intense delight she turned to find herself face to face with Venner. "'Oh, this is glorious!' she said, as she placed both her hands in his. "'But do you think that it is quite safe for you to come here so soon? "'For all I know, I may be followed.' "'I don't think so,' Venner said. "'Now let me take you in my arms and kiss you. "'Let us sit down here in this snug corner "'and try to imagine that we are back in the happy days "'when no cloud loomed between us "'and we were looking forward to many joyous years together. "'We will talk mundane matters presently.' "'Vera yielded to the ecstasy of the moment. "'Everything was so dark and melancholy.' that it seemed a sin to lose a gleam of sunshine like this. But the time crept on, and the November sun was sinking, and it was borne in upon Vera that she must get back to the house again. Very gently she disengaged herself from Venner's embrace. "'We must be really practical now,' she said. "'Tell me what has happened since I left the hotel last night.' "'So far as I can see, nothing,' 
Venner replied, "'I asked for you this morning, and to my surprise I found that you had vanished in the dead of night, with a mysterious chauffeur and a Mercedes car. By great good luck I found a policeman who had made a note of the number of the car, after which I went to the makers, or rather the agents of the makers, and it was quite easy to find out that the Mercedes in question had recently been delivered to Mr. Mark Fenwick's order at Merton Grange near Canterbury. After that you will not be surprised to find that I came down here as soon as possible, and that I have been hiding here with a pair of field-glasses, trying to get a glimpse of you. "'That was very interesting,' Vera laughed. "'But tell me about my sister. I am so anxious over her.' "'No reason to be,' said Venner. "'I have seen to that. She has gone back to your brother.' "'Oh, I am so glad. Now listen to me carefully.' She went on with some detail to tell the story of her last night's experiences. She spoke of Felix Zary and the letter which she had been more or less compelled to write to him. Also, she described the ruse by which the letter had been regained. "'Now you must go and see this Zary,' she said. "'Tell him that you have come for me, and tell him all about the letter. Mind, he must reply to my letter, just as if it had reached him in the ordinary way through the post.' because, as you see, I shall have to show the answer to Mr. Fenwick, and I want to lull his suspicions to rest entirely. You may find Zary a little awkward at first. "'I don't think I shall,' Venner smiled. "'In fact, he and I are already acquainted, but I am not going to tell you anything about that. You prefer to keep your secrets as far as I am concerned, and I am going to guard mine for the present. I am working to put an end to all this mystery and bother, and I am going to do it in my own way.' Anyway, I will see Zary for you, and tell him exactly what has happened. In fact, I will go to town this evening, for the express purpose. Then I will come back in the morning, and meet you here, the same time to-morrow afternoon. They parted at that, and Vera made her way back to the house. She saw that the letters were no longer on the hall table, and therefore she concluded that they had been posted. She assumed a quiet, dignified manner during the rest of the evening. She treated Fenwick more or less distantly, as if she were still offended with his suspicions. Fenwick, on the other hand, was more than usually amiable. Something had evidently pleased him, and he appeared to be doing his best to wipe out the unpleasant impression of the morning. Vera felt quite easy in her mind now. She knew that her ruse had been absolutely successful. All the same, she ignored Fenwick's request of a little music, professing to be exceedingly tired, which, indeed, was no more than the truth. "'I am going to bed quite early to-night,' she said. "'I have been sleeping very indifferently of late.' It was barely ten before she was in her room, and there she lay, oblivious of all that was taking place around her, till she woke presently with an idea that she could hear the sound of hammering close by. As she sat up in bed with all her senses about her, she could hear the great stable clock strike the hour of three. Her ears had not deceived her. The sound of metal meeting metal and a kind of musical chink came distinct and clear. Then, from somewhere near, she could hear voices. The thing was very strange, seeing that Fenwick was a businessman, pure and simple, and that he had never confessed to any knowledge of mechanics. It came back to her mind now that directly she had entered the house, Fenwick had greeted her in a suit of blue overalls, which she understood men who followed mechanical pursuits generally wore. She recollected, too, that his hands were black and grimy, what could be going on, and why had she seen nothing of this during the daytime? She could comprehend men sitting up all night and working in a factory, but surely there could be no occasion for a thing like this in a private house, unless, perhaps, Fenwick and his satellites were engaged in some pursuit that needed careful concealment from the eyes of the law. 
It would be well, perhaps, Vera thought, if she could find out what was going on. The discovery might be the means of putting another weapon into her hands. She rose from her bed and partially dressed herself. Then, with a pair of slippers on her feet and a dark wrap around her shoulders, she stole into the corridor. A dim light was burning there, so that she had no fear of being discovered, especially as the walls were draped with tapestry, and here and there armored figures stood, which afforded a capital means of concealment. As Vera sidled along, she noticed that at the end of the corridor was a small room down a flight of steps. From where she stood she could see into the room, the door of which was open. Fenwick stood there, apparently engaged in superintending the melting of metal in a crucible over a fire, which was driven to white heat by a pair of bellows. The rest of his gang seemed to be doing something on an iron table, with moulds and discs. Vera could see the gleam of yellow metal. Then somebody closed the door of the room, and she could learn no more. It was all very strange and mysterious, and there was a furtive air about it which did not suggest honesty of purpose. There was nothing more for it now except for Vera to return to her room, with a determination to see the inside of that little apartment the first time that the coast was clear. She hurried along back to her own room, and had almost succeeded in reaching it, when she came face to face with a man who had stepped out of a doorway so suddenly that the two figures came almost in contact. A fraction of a second later a hand was laid over Vera's mouth, while another grasped her wrist. Then she saw that the intruder had been joined by a companion. "'Please don't say a word, miss, and whatever you do, don't call out,' one of the men whispered. "'We know all about you and who you are. Believe me, we are here to do you the greatest service in our power.' My colleague will tell you the same. "'But who are you?' Vera asked, as the man removed his hand from her mouth. Her courage had come back to her now. "'Why do you come in this fashion?' "'My name is Egan,' the stranger said, "'and this is my companion, Grady. We are New York detectives, over here on important business. The man we are after is Mark Fenwick.'" End of Chapter 18